Hello and welcome to the May edition of the Simple Farms LLC podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Scott Scheimer is joining me here today. He is the creator and the founder of the Simple Farms LLC app. And we'll be talking more about this margin analysis tool in the show here today. Scott is also the owner and manager of Scheimer Farms in Cheyenne Wells, Colorado, which is in the eastern part of the state for those who don't know. And we always talk about what's going on on the farm as well. Scott, planting season is upon us, so I wanted to find out where you're at. Are you done with your planting? Yeah, no, we're not done, Lori. Uh, we're a little odd. We we start with Milo, and then we go to corn. We've learned from mistakes about three or four years ago. It's worked real well for us. We're all dry land, and it seems like our later corn has been better success, and our early Milo with the heat units has been better. So we are almost done with Milo, but we are very thankful. We got rained out for really our first real moisture of the year. And then we were going to get the planter home and get converted to corn. How many acres of Milo are you planting? We put in a little over 4,000 and we might do a little more. We do have some failed wheat acres that we were looking to put Milo in on. And now that we got this moisture, we'll be doing a little more. Where do you take your Milo to? Where do you get it processed at? So now we're, uh, we've been shipping over to the ethanol plant over in the Kansas State Line campus is the facility. But we do have Stefan Solabib has built his facility on the rail down in Kiowa County and just opened up that rail line. In fact, they just sh- shipped their first unit train of wheat out uh, a couple weeks ago. And they're a market and they're right at our back door. They're just a couple miles away from most of our acreage. So they're wanting to be quite competitive in the Milo market. So we'll sure work with those guys as well. Well, the timing on opening that up is good because you're not the first one that has told me that they might be planting Milo into some of their lost wheat acres, especially for those folks that are south of I-76. Yeah, exactly. And another one is, is we just called uh, Perry Brothers up there and we ordered a little bit more extra millet seed. We'll be putting some millet on some of those acres as well. And uh, they say they're selling a lot of millet right now. So that's good. Well, there'll be a variety of other crops out there but we are definitely short on wheat. Scott, is millet considered a cover crop? Millet has a thousand varieties. We're not using this cover crop. We use it for grain production. What I like about the ProSo millet that we're raising is uh, it's only requiring about a foot of profile. It doesn't root much deeper than that. So we can raise a crop with some timely rains and hold the ground and still get some production and a cash crop. It's a low input crop. And I do love following millet with corn the following year if everything lines up. Most of the millet interviews I've done have been around grain and birdseed. The birdseed market is huge for millet. That's correct. We uh, we ship a lot of ours to Missouri where they process it with pen pack for the uh, birdseed with Walmart. So a lot of our millet has been going to those guys the last few years. And if I remember right, just a little side note, I could be wrong. I'll have to double check, fact check here, but I believe Colorado is the number one Proso millet producing state. Have you heard that as well? That is correct. Nebraska and the Dakotas used to be, and uh, it's kind of shifted. They their acres are more intended for the corn, and and uh, yeah, we're the been the biggest producer for a few years. And as you mentioned, Scott, then you'll switch to planting to corn here. How are your soil temperatures? We're decent. I don't check for soil temperatures. I guess we just kind of hit a know where we just go. And years ago, I used to plant corn on April 15th. I didn't care what the temperature was just so I could get all the acres covered. Since then, we've got a bigger planter, more help, and uh, we can get the acres done quicker so we don't start so early anymore. But 
I never even found the soil temperatures to affect us back then. We even had snow. I can remember a couple times planting through the snow just to get going. The corn still came up, but it is dry land. We're not as critical on our stands. How many acres of corn will you be planting then, Scott? As far as total acres of corn, we're looking to put in just about 5,000 acres this year of corn. And uh, Is that average for you? That is average. That keeps our uh, rotations pretty equal. It's a little over. Again, the corn's going to take on some of the failed wheat acres, but we try to stay as diversified as we can and keep our acres pretty uniform in division. We just don't have enough equipment to cover it all in one crop type. So, I ask these questions too because I want to tie it back into the app. So when you have your Simple Farms app pulled up, you put in what you were doing for wheat. Well, now the wheat's failing. So then you can go back in and replace that and track it and kind of see where you are at and where you're headed with what you're planning, right? Yeah, exactly right. So what we'll do in the program is is we could consider harvest or collecting the insurance check, the end of that analysis on that crop. And so what we'll do is we'll start another analysis just for that corn following the wheat. And so if we have an operation that we got to decimate the wheat to get that ground cleaned up and ready for the corn, that becomes the expense now for the corn. But everything ended at the collection of the check for the wheat or if we get to harvest it. Obviously, that's where that analysis ends. So on those acres, yeah, we're starting a new analysis just for that corn crop. Then depending on our insurance structure, that might not have insurance with it. So we will look at ourselves differently because we collected the insurance check on the wheat. That definitely affects what the margin levels could be on that corn and what risk we're taking on it. All right. Good point. In the app, are you able to put in the insurance information because maybe you enrolled in one program, maybe you didn't on another, or maybe you're if multiple things? Are you able to track that in the app too then? You are, Lori. You're able to allocate, let's say we've got a enterprise unit on corn, which covers the entire farm unit. You'll allocate that across all the acres of your corn crops, or if you did an option unit specifically for one field, you can plug that price point in, both your premium and your return, if you get a payment, itemized just to that one specific field that you're looking at. Yeah, you can individualize it as deep in the details as you want in the program, and we do do that. And then if you've got variable coverages, uh, we do do some drought coverages, or we do... uh, hail coverages on specific fields, especially on our irrigated soybeans. And uh, you can just additionally put those in the Simple Farms program just for those specific fields and itemize it in that way. Interesting. That isn't a point that we haven't really talked about too much. But when you said insurance, I thought, oh, wow, that is an important piece of what we're doing. And sometimes we try different things on different fields depending on what we're expecting. So interesting. We'll forecast for what we're looking at this next year. So when we're making our insurance decisions, we'll plug in different levels of their premiums and take historical of what we've done on the ground, pair them and see where we need to be insuring ourselves based on our input costs and what the markets are just to really match up our levels of risk to what our return possibilities are. And Scott, you just brought up a, another good point that kind of triggered a question or triggered a conversation. And that is when you're using history in that app, it can be really beneficial, not only because it's right there and you don't have to figure it out. It's right there at your hands, but also in an off year where maybe hail or drought or 
all these circumstances are at, when you take that average and you go back and you're like, what, this is wonky or this is a little weird. Why is that? You can see right there in the notes and the insurance and all of that and say, oh, okay. And so that helps with averaging out and forecasting. It really does, Lori. When we're making our decisions, we do take averages on the farm because every year is different. At this point in time, we take a five-year average and look at everything based on that average. And then, yes, like you said, prior to this rain here, we shifted our numbers as far as our anticipated production and our inputs as far as fertilizers because we didn't have much moisture profile. So we weren't going to push our five-year average on corn is a 53 on dry land, eastern Colorado. And we didn't think we would make that. So we looked at a 40 bushel crop at these market prices And then that weighs on what our inputs will be. And then if we get the moisture, we can always adjust and add more inputs, then rerun those numbers and see where we're at. But we definitely, yeah, we make our farm forecast based on a five-year average of everything we do, input costs, inputs, everything. Scott, I know we talk about this when we get together here monthly. Are there any other changes to the app that you've made? Well, we finally did launch our mapping program. So the program, instead of using icons to represent your fields, you now have Google Earth, like a lot of programs everybody uses where you can just visually see it on Google Earth, your fields, you outline them. And that's in the program now. We are making some edits with the development team where it'd be a little simpler to edit your fields and make changes. And so that should be coming out fairly quickly along with the mapping. When we go plant the cornfield, or the Milo, we've set up a color palette that's associated with your seeds. So when you go plant that field on the Google Maps, you'll actually see that field is yellow for corn, red for Milo. There's a visual aid in the program as well that we're really excited that we just pushed. Scott, why is it important to have the Google Map feature? How do you use it? Visual. I think that's the easiest way to look at it, just simplifying everything. We're visual here on our operation. I am. With the amount of acres we're dealing with, I've been on this farm my whole life. The legals, sometimes I still get skewed. We've got a few different sections that are section 33, but different locations. And, uh, you know, after a while, I forget what's where. And having that visual there helps a lot. And then with so many different crops that we're doing, visually able to see where all those different crops are. Oh, yeah, that was the south third of that field, not the north third. Just a few things like that. Just trying to really simplify the program for access of understanding your operation. Very good. Very good. How many users are you at now? We're at 55. We would really like to have 100. That's really our big economic threshold goal for the program. But uh, hey, we're still climbing. Each year, we're adding a few more users. And the input we're getting from them has been very positive. And we're learning from our users. And we keep adding more features to the program as we can based on their desires and their needs for the program. Any more upgrades or features that you'll be adding in here in the near future? Oh, geez. Yeah, it's never ending, Lori. It seems like we're working on it more and more than we ever have. Obviously, with more users, more revenue, and and we just keep adding more features. Notes are coming up very quickly in the program where you can actually make notes of what you've done in each specific field. Other than that, what we're talking about doing is going into the fall. We, Julie and I have run into this is people getting their operations initially set up. A little bit of confusion, and we've helped do a lot of handhelding and helped out with a lot of that. We're going to work hard on making the program more user-friendly for the initial setup of the farms. So that's kind of our goal going into the fall. All right. And then back to the farm. So once planting is over, then what do you turn your attention towards? 
Well, this is the first year we've done cereal rye and we're raising it for grain and it's headed out. It's pollinating right now. And so we'll probably wrap up corn and millet planting and turn around within a week, probably start harvesting rye, which will then take us right into our early wheat harvest. So it's it's nonstop. And that's kind of been my goal is uh, most of what I want to do on our operation is plant, spray and harvest. And uh, we're definitely at that point. We're just constantly going on something. You're raising cereal rye for grain. And the last time you and I talked, you were also involved in a new venture, and that is raising rye for a distillery for bourbon. Yeah, the rye will go for rye whiskey, and then the corn will go for bourbon. Once we harvest that and clean it, we'll uh, take a sample up to the distillers. We're working with 10th Mountain Whiskey up in Gypsum, Colorado, outside of Vail. And we'll take our first batch up to them, and hopefully we have some success with those guys, and we can keep supplying it to them. Are you raising just one variety or are you raising multiple varieties? We're doing two different varieties. And that was more in the fact that we're working with green cover seed out of Nebraska, the cover crop blend guys and uh, fantastic. They cover a huge area and they were needing more rye for their cover mixes. And we wanted to have an opportunity to do that with them. And they also asked us to do a variety called cover max, a new hybrid variety out there. And so we've got two. We've got Elbon, which is kind of the historical standard of rye, and then the Cover Max. And so we've got those side by side, both irrigated dry land and running those in trials for those guys, along with fertility differences. So we're doing about six different trial strips of practices, populations, fertility, dry land and irrigated for those guys on this uh, these ryes. And I have another question on raising rye for whiskey. Do you have to treat that different as far as what you apply on it because it is being used for like a distilling purpose? Is there different ways that you have to farm that? Well, we haven't had a conversation about it. We've just kind of taken it upon ourselves. We did know that rye is very aggressive and pretty much suppresses anything else from growing. So we went in with that approach. The only thing we really put on it was some ally pre-emergent in the spring and some 2,4-D just to keep the bindweed in check. Other than that, we put nothing else on it. A little fertility, obviously, and we're using microbes and organics as far as our fertilizers. That's it. So yeah, we're kind of trying to keep it as organic as possible. And I wouldn't say we're quote unquote 100% organic on the fields, but we're sure trying to go that range and especially on something that's going right to the food grade. Scott, I'm excited for you on this venture and it will be neat to see where it leads to here in the future. Our next intention is we've seen the success of how that Elbon is very aggressive, similar to Triticale, and uh, we start doing cattle. So we're going to follow up some corn and put some rye on on some dry land where we know we will be grazing cattle. Scott, I'll bring this right back to the app, which is a margin analysis tool that can help you decide whether or not this is worth pursuing in the future. You can really see whether or not it's a return on investment what changes you might need to make to make it a return on investment and what you want to do in the future with regard to raising rye. Exactly. And the fun thing is, is, you know, you can get even more details if we're going to custom graze it. Do we graze it out because of the revenue we generate off of the custom grazing? And maybe the market isn't solid on the price point for the rye, or we just don't anticipate to have the production. What about the shrimp side of things? So when do you get rolling with that again? (laughs) We are rolling, Lori. We started our next batch of shrimp, which were 14-day-old little guys, 
and they were shipped to us from Texas. We got them in the tank. And so we're off and going. We're hoping these will be a marketable batch around August is when we'll begin start selling this round. And we got 4,800 of them in. We modified the system a little bit. Very happy with the, how it's working on the filtration and circulation. And we've learned a lot through that first batch and very excited with this next round. And hopefully we can sell about 200 pounds this time. This is our anticipated market. And Scott, will you do two rounds of shrimp or just this one time through? Just this one time. But what we're thinking is once we've got about half of this batch marketed out, we'll have freed up tanks, almost like pins in a feed yard. We've got 10 tanks. One's a nursery tank, and then we have different grow tanks. So what we think we'll do is actually once we get about four or five tanks freed up, including the nursery tank, we'll bring in the next batch and get those rolling a little earlier and start start a cycle here. We'll see what happens. Very cool. Do you put that in the app too? It'll be something we'll probably look at if it starts to become a serious business. We'll put the aquaculture into the app and design something where we can follow it with aquaculture. What else is going on the farm or what else would you like to mention here today, Scott? Thrilled that we finally got some moisture. I know a lot of my neighbors were waiting to get rolling until we got something and saw a lot of tractors sitting on the edge of the field. So everybody will get going hard here as soon as it dries out and then, you know, we've been running hard for about two weeks and uh, everybody gets a little tired. I'm a little tired. We push really hard to try and beat this rain and get all our acres done with the Milo. So everybody just be safe out there. Take some time to get some rest and it'll always get done. That's a good point. Very good point. Because just like you said, push the push is on and everybody's trying to, to fit their farming in between the weather and and school ending and all the activities that are going on. <laughs> But it seems like every year I'm reporting on a farm accident and even casualties. So I think that's a really good reminder. It is. That's my biggest fear is to give an employee's spouse a phone call. And I preach it heavily with my guys. And uh, if we're pushing hard, I'll actually just stop and we'll check ourselves. And I have found that we always get it done. And so just focus on being safe first. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, always good to check in with you and very helpful for me as well to know what's going on out there. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Once again, Scott Scheimer joining me on the show here today, owner of Scheimer Farms in Cheyenne Wells, Colorado. And he is also the creator and founder of the Simple Farms LLC app, which is a margin analysis tool for farmers. Scott, once again, the website for more information. Yeah, it's simplefarms.ag. Not only is there information, but there's also a demo of the app. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. That wraps up the May edition of the Simple Farms LLC podcast. I'm Lori Boyer.